quite a lengthy Wednesday night series. Um, if we, if it does, like I said, if it gets into December and, uh, you know, we have Christmas meetings, we know that we're starting many of our candlelight services uh, that'll kick off uh, in the end of November. Uh, we'll put a, we'll put a, um, a little mark on it and pick back up. Uh, this study started in June, Denise, when Denise and uh, the kids and I were away for a couple of weeks. Um, Lord just impressed upon my heart the great need that we find today. Uh, no doubt in my mind, uh, this, this lesson is going to be offensive to some, uh, and that's fine. Because if it is offensive, uh, then more than likely you need to get right and not be part of, the, of what we're going to look at in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Um, guys, look, I'm, I don't purposely try to offend people. That's not my job. I don't, I don't want to be rude and crude and this and that. That's not. Uh, but I am going to stand on the Word of God and let the Word of God do what it needs to do. And so we're going to have a real quick review from last week. I do hope that you caught up. If you wasn't here last week, caught up on part one. I did not get near as far as I wanted to get last week. But uh, just stand with me tonight if you're willing and able to as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Second Peter chapter 2, looking in verse 1. And the Bible says... Uh, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall be bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Father in heaven, we pray tonight a special blessing upon the reading of your word. We ask you this evening to bless the word to our hearts and our minds. I do pray that we be convicted, dear God, in our hearts, and Lord, that we would unmask, or just Lord, that we would see things the way that we need to through the lens of the Holy Scripture. And Father, I pray there'll be someone listening tonight online or just elsewhere, some of the venue, Lord. Uh, if they're caught up in, in, in an organization, an institution, if you will, uh, where one of these false teachers, dear God, are teaching damnable heresies, I pray uh, they would flee, dear Lord. They would run, they would leave, they would depart and get into a Bible-believing church, dear Lord, that preach it according to your word. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen. Thank you so much, and please be seated. So just real quick, guys, and it's just a real quick review. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time uh, in the review. I want to get back to where we are by way of introduction, going over why uh, these two classes of people that you find in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, which are false prophets and false teachers. And one is a reference to the Old Testament, that is the false prophets, and the other is a reference to the New Testament, that is the false teachers. They are referred to, referred to in the chapter as they, them, and these. Throughout the entire chapter, you find after verse 1, that reference, when they, them, or these, that is referring to these apostates among us. And remember, guys, an apostate is, is defined, it's an adjective, as a false or traitorous position, if you will. And it's going to be associated with a person. So last week, we, we hit a couple of these points, and we looked at what apostasy is. Uh, the Bible tells us that in the end times, uh, except there come a falling away first, we know that. Uh, we know that's very clear, that there's going to be a, a falling away, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, the reason we brought this in, again, laying the groundwork between false prophets and false teachers, who and where they apply and how they apply to us today, and how they are in our lives today, is that we understand that the church in and of itself is going to fall away. Now, a lot of people, many a times, have struggled with this, because we've tried to, many preachers have tried to equate the falling away and the apostate church to being people who are backslidden, backslidden, okay? Uh, guys, I, I want us to clearly, clearly understand that apostates, my friend, are lost people, okay? And they're in the church. We, we looked at that. 
we looked at Revelation chapter 3, verse, uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, when the Lord said that he's going to spew them out of his mouth. He's not spewing out a body part, but something that's within his body, within the, uh, the fold, if you will, but not part of it, a foreign substance, do you understand? And he says that that church of Laodicea, that they're wretched, they're poor, they're miserable, <clears throat> they're blind and naked. Those are all references to lost individuals, not saved individuals. It's not evidence of someone losing their salvation. It is pure, unadulterated evidence uh, that these people are lost. And so that's what we need to understand, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of the blind guides. There's still going to be people in our world today who don't accept that ideology or that teaching. Adrian Rogers came up with what I found to be the best definition of what an apostate is, saying this, that an apostate is someone who has received the truth, meaning they've heard it, They've rejected the truth, they've ridiculed the truth, and then eventually seek to replace the truth. Now, guys, if there, he preached that. I know uh, 1983, a sermon, he preached that right there. Of course, he had been preaching that probably since 1949 uh, when he graduated from uh, Florida Baptist College. Here's what we can say. If, there's a, if there is not a better definition of what we see today in so-called churches, okay? Now, a church, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which only means a called-out assembly. That's all that means, okay? It means a local called-out assembly. They meet for a particular purpose, but it is a physical meeting. So when we want to say, well, bless God, we're all just in the body. You know, we're all in the church in this together. The church is a local called-out assembly of believers. Matter of fact, William Blackstone, in the legal definition, the, the father of our legal system here, our law system here in the United Kingdom, William Blackstone defined a church as a local called-out assembly of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> who meet for the purpose of the propagation of the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. 90% of the things that calls itself a church in the United Kingdom and around the world doesn't equate to that legal definition right there, okay? High church, the Church of England, you'll never hear the gospel preached in the Church of England. You'll never hear a gospel invitation given. Why? Because they're staunch Calvinists. They're, they're staunch Calvinists. They believe in predestination. They're pedo-baptists, if you will. It means they baptize infants into the church on the proclamation of the godfather or the parents stating that they are saved. It's, 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 it's idiocy is what it is. I'm saying that and being straight honest because biblically, baptism is for the believer only by immersion. Amen? If it's anything less than that, it's not a baptism and it does nothing for you. The meaning, method, and the motive must be accurate with baptism I'm saying all that guys to get to where we need to get to tonight these are apostates that are among us they're in our world they're in our life and they dictate and control the majority of our population today and it's sad it is very sad peter has no bones about it peter doesn't mince words he calls them exactly what they are damnable heresies okay so in verse one if we look in verse one again here tonight it says, but there were, but there were false prophets also among the people, okay? He makes this clear. This is direct, this is a direct reference to the Old Testament, which it's a link together with the following statement when he says that there, uh, that he says, even as there shall also be, um, sorry, there, there also be false teachers among you. Very specific about that, very uh, uh, pointed about that, if you will. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 9 and 11, he says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that, when, um, but when that which is perfect has come, and if you write in your Bible, you can underscore that right there, that which is perfect has come, that is the word of God. 
That is the Bible, okay? That's not Jesus. Jesus had already came, died on the cross, buried in the grave, risen again, and right now is sat on the right hand of the throne of the Father. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, when that which is perfect has come, that is the completed word of God, which was completed after the revelation of Jesus Christ in the last decade of the first century that was penned by the Apostle John. Verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So you may be here today thinking, well, we have false prophets today. Just because someone calls themselves a prophet doesn't make them so. You understand? So Peter is not saying you're going to have prophets in the church. There's going to be false prophets and real prophets. That's not for us today. We're going to, we've seen that already. Uh, just start out with the apostles. We're going to pick up where we left off last week as we turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Again, this is by way of, of, of introduction so that we can gather our head around exactly what Peter is saying, why he is saying it, and who he is saying it to. As there were, the last time I checked, the word were is a past tense definition. So shall there be, that is present in future tense with the local church, okay? There were false prophets. There will be, or there, uh, there will be, if you will, there shall be false teachers. And that's a New Testament illustration. So what Peter does throughout the entire chapter is he equates the false prophets in the Old Testament with their damnable heresies as well as the judgment that the Lord Jesus Christ or that God brought upon them with the false teachers of the New Testament and their damnable heresies and the judgment that shall be brought to them. So we look at Ephesians chapter 4. If you'll turn over there just real quickly with me here tonight. We'll pick up where we left off uh, last night. I hope I didn't go too long with that uh, teeny review. So Ephesians in chapter 4, as we begin to look at this church age to see what God has done, we looked last week, yes, there, he gave some apostles. We know some, and I told you guys last week, when you see the word some there in verse 11, it gave some apostles, that's gave some. That some are local churches. That's what is that, that's a reference to, local churches, okay? Uh, it wasn't every one of them. Every church didn't have an apostle, but we know that Paul was responsible for planting loads of churches. He was an apostle. We know that John pastored uh, uh, several churches. Peter was there. So some churches, James was a pastor there in Jerusalem. So some churches got apostles, okay? After John died, there was no more apostles, okay? So that's not for today. Now, why are, we, why are we bringing this to our attention? We're bringing it to our attention to establish the correlation between false prophets and false teachers in 2 Peter chapter 2. So the next thing, and this is where we left off last week, are prophets, prophets. Now, just as the first local churches had some apostles, some got some apostles, some were given prophets, which means prophets were sent by the church they were not born out of them. They were not born in them. We know that Agabus was a prophet. He prophesied the arrest of Paul. He prophesied of the great dearth uh, that we read about in Acts chapter, um, uh, Acts chapter uh, 11. Uh, he prophesied Paul's arrest in Acts chapter 21. So we understand those, guys. We understand that some early churches, okay, received prophets. That doesn't mean what Peter is saying in 2 Peter chapter 2, that we're going to have false prophets. It's a correlation between the two, guys, Okay. Prophets are not for today. They're not for the local church today. They are an Old Testament position. Their work in the New Testament church age, i.e., <clears throat> the first handful of years uh, within the local church, where it was minuscule at best, minuscule at best. Uh, and it did not continue forward. That just as there's no apostolic secession, there is no prophet secession either. Now, again, we referenced this verse a moment ago, but you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. 
And so some people like to hang to this verse and say, hang on a second. Uh, the Bible says that we're going to prophesy, that we prophesy in part. Okay, pa Paul said that there in the great old love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Guys, in this world, guys, <clears throat> we're never going to know <clears throat> all things. There are always going to be some things that, that will be hidden from us. Uh, the same is true with future knowledge. God is never going to reveal every minute detail about a future event. So we still, in our life, even though we have a completed work, okay, uh, we still know, are not going to know every single thing that's going to happen. Prophecy, when you look at the completed word of God once it's finished, does not mean that you are going to unveil a hidden truth that nobody else in the world knows. It means you're going to proclaim a truth and yet a future event. You know what I can stand here and say? One day... The, the, the Lord Jesus Christ shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, you know, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together for them in the cloud. That's right, and forever we shall be, right? First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. We, we know that. I just prophesied. I just prophesied about a future event that I know that's going to happen in the Word of God. I didn't tell you when it was going to happen. Amen. Do you understand that? Why? Because I don't know that. Neither does anyone else know that. Amen. Uh, Jesus Christ was very clear about that. No man knoweth the day or the hour except my Father in heaven. Amen. So, so we see this in 1 Corinthians 14, and this will be another argument that people will use, verse 3. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men unto, to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, Corinth, was, Corinth had their issues with the gifts. So when we talk about this prophecy, we talk about this act of prophesying, Paul recommends one gift over the rest, and that is the ability to prophesy, meaning prophesy, uh, is, prophecy is among the best gifts, if you will. That's, you find that in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. So in the book of Acts, prophecy is the ability to foretell a future event by supernatural revelation of Jesus Christ, all right? That's what it is in the book of Acts. But, and just like we mentioned Agabus just earlier ago in the early church, but all of the New Testament writers give prophecy somewhere along the line in the book, in the Bible. And when the Apostle John closes the one book, the last book of the New Testament, entirely is dedicated to prophecy. So what does he close it with? Revelation 19.10, what's the idea? He says the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. I want to make that so that you understand that is where it lies with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not going to unveil something today that was not given in the Word of God. Prophecy is not, in our church age today, just again, this kind of sums up the idea of having false prophets in the world today and the correlation that Peter is using in 2 Peter chapter 2. The prophecy that we have in the world today is always going to be according to this scripture. It's always confined within the 66 books of the Word of God. There are some things that every single Christian should know about the future. Some things. Number one, uh, they should know that they have eternal life. Number two, they should know they're destined, uh, they're destined for the new Jerusalem. Number three, they should know the eternal destination of the lost. Number four, they should know the, the certainty of the return of Jesus Christ. And most importantly, they should tell others about these things. That's proclaiming future events. Do you understand? So guys, just because a prophet does not just know the future, but a prophet broadcasts that. So when we look at false prophets of the Old Testament and prophesying in the New Testament, they are two different things. They are two different animals, if you will. And I'm speaking of the New Testament church age that we live in today. All right? Because you're going to run across this verse right here in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, despise not prophesying. And they're going to go, wait a second. If I'm not to despise prophesying, why is there not false prophets? It's a different animal. It's a different animal altogether, guys. So the word comes from prophetia, which in the New Testament is used as utterances referencing the Old Testament 
prophets. Not a new revelation that's something hidden from the Word of God. So having said all that, guys, prophets, as far as revealing a mystery that is hidden, are not found in Scripture and receiving a sign, visions from Jesus, whatever, in the New Testament church age today. We have that which is perfect, which is the Word of God. And guys, we have the completed Word of God. There's no extra revelations outside of the Word of God. And when we prophesy, we prophesy a truth that an Old Testament prophet said or a proper teacher in the Bible has, uh, has written down. Amen? So we have positions as evangelists. We'll hurry through this, guys, so we can get a little bit into uh, back into Second Peter and concerning these apostates among us. Evangelists. Some churches got evangelists, guys. Uh, Philip's a prime example. Acts chapter 21 and verse 8 says, And the next day uh, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, uh, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And so by the time Acts 21 rolls around, guys, uh, by the time it is recorded, the church had been in existence for over two decades, and this position today, this position of, a, of an evangelist, uh, uh, was present then, and it's present today. The Bible is even told, tells pastors to do the work of evangelists. I'm going to say this, probably upset some people. That doesn't mean a pastor needs to be out of his pulpit 270 some odd days a year traveling around, all right? That's not your job. Your job is this pulpit, amen, as a pastor. Doing the work of evangelists is going across the street and evangelizing, amen? Going across town, going across the village, going across uh, your own country. So pastors, this is, a very, this is a given. We understand that. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, pastor is a shepherd, elder, a bishop. Uh, it's one of the two offices given to the, new, the local New Testament church. Uh, it is a local church office, guys. It's not an ecumenical position. Uh, the pastor is the overseer of the local New Testament church, not some conglomeration uh, of such. Teachers, teachers, guys. Teachers are part of the local New Testament church age. And herein is where the pastor uh, is contrasted between false teachers of the New Testament with false prophets of the Old Testament. So all of that was to lay the groundwork that the false prophets, false prophets referenced by Peter in 2 Peter in chapter 2 is a relation to the Old Testament in comparison to the false teachers in the New Testament. So if we have teachers, meaning pastors and those who teach in the local church, they're going to be false teachers as well, just like there were false prophets and proper prophets in the Old Testament. Does that make sense tonight? And I know that was, a, guys, I understand that was probably a, that was an 18-minute 18 18-minute uh, uh, road to cover just to prove one point that the false prophets Peter are talking about is a reference to the Old Testament, the false teachers is a reference to the New Testament. Amen? So let's get back in verse 1 here, if you will. Verse 1, look at the next part. The Bible tells us here, it says, Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So we see this phrase, who privily, who privily. And guys, as mentioned before, Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2, they line up one with another. As a matter of fact, you can be reading one and read the other one, and you don't think you've missed a beat. It's almost like they're writing one with another. Uh, Jude is written after 2 Peter, and we see that here, uh, or we will see that here later on. But we, we need to understand, they line up one with another, and it's almost as, hey guys, it's almost as if they're inspired by the same source, right? I think they are, uh, called the Holy Spirit of God. But Jude in, Jude in verse 4 says, for there are certain men crept in unawares. Now, Paul, Peter says, who privily come in. Jude, Jude 4 says, they crept in unawares. These men crept in, they came in privily, all right? So Jude goes on to say, references these men who crept in. He says, they're ungodly men, turning the grace of our God unto lasciviousness, which is unbridled lust, all right? 
and denying the only Lord God and Lord Jesus Christ. What does Peter say? Peter says of the same people, there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, okay? And bring upon themselves swift destruction. So both Peter and Jude are speaking about the same type of people. They are vile apostates bent on destroying the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ of others. They are false teachers, okay? <clears throat> Guys, I am very very adamant about what a false teacher is if you're i like what curtis hudson said curtis hudson said that if you believe in the lord jesus christ 99 percent for salvation and one percent in the baptism that baptism is going to take you straight to hell that one percent will take you straight to hell that's a damnable heresy baptismal regeneration and we're going to cover these in this lesson guys we are going to get uh, so close to the cliff with the false religions that we see across the street and around the corner. We're going we're gonna to just call it out. We're going to unveil them. We're going to unmask them. And we're going to call them exactly what they are. They are apostates. They are lost people who ridicule the truth and are looking to replace the truth. And they're successful today. And they've done so to the stronghold of so many people in this world today. It's a crying, crying shame. So the Bible tells us who crept in unawares, <clears throat> who privily shall bring in. Both of these statements, guys, have come from the same roots. In 2 Peter chapter 2, <clears throat> we have this phrase that comes from the, re the Greek word perisego, uh, which means to introduce or to bring in secretly or craftily or bring something in beside, okay? The etymology of this word para, which I've taught you guys this before, para means form of, it means um, beside or near. If you go back to your elementary school teacher, your primary day school teacher, you remember when they taught you paragraphs? And when you started a new paragraph, if you went uh, one space, you didn't have to indent. If you did not indent, you had to indent five spaces over. Yeah. And then a little symbol came up. Where did it come up beside? The paragraph symbol. It, I just gave it away. Beside. It, alongside. You added something alongside. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons, and I don't know if I have my notes, but, but this is the difference between 1 Timothy chapter 3 when it says a deacon is not to be given too much wine, but a pastor is not to be given too wine. All right, the wine for the pastor comes from the Greek word um, paraoinus. Paraoinus. All right? It means something's been added to. The word oinus means fruit juice. That's all it means. So a deacon is not to be given too much oinus, plain fruit juice. Why? Because fruit juice was a luxury it was something it was an indulgence it's something you had for special occasions i don't know let's go back to the wedding of cana where the water was turned into wine it wasn't turned into alcoholic beverage that's an idiotic teaching the people who teach that and hold to the fact that it was a it was a changed into um alcoholic beverage in that wedding they're doing nothing but trying to justify the fact of them being a drunk let's just call it like it is okay it was fruit juice is what he did when they said, oh my goodness, we got the, the, they saved the best wine for the last. It's because they used to add water to the juice as the night went on for the feast, right? And by the time the end of the night came, it was a watered down fruit juice. But when Jesus Christ turned the water into wine, man, it was perfect fruit juice. It was lush. It was, it was great. It wasn't watered down squash. It was nice, solid fruit juice. That's what they were saying. They wasn't acting a fool, intoxicated and all that. You understand? So when you see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the, the deacon's not to be given to much wine, that's meaning much fruit juice because it's a delicacy, it's an indulgence, it's something you have for special occasions. Other than that, you drink water for your meals. The pastor's not to be given to alcoholic beverage at all, all right, at all. Not that the deacon could, but now it's a different word, paraoinus. What does it mean? Something's added alongside. What's this added alongside? Well, the yeast, the fermentation process. 
Solomon said, looketh not on the wine when it turneth aright. What does that mean, turneth aright? When it changeth color, it goes from a, a red to a dark purple. What is it doing? It's the fermentation process. It's something turning aright inside of it. It's rotting before your eyes. And Solomon says, don't even look at it. Don't even be around it. You understand? You see, guys, so this word para, when we look at the etymology of this word here, when we talk about who crept in unawares, who privily shall bring in, this word para is something that is beside, something needs. You, com- you combine this where the word isigo means to bring in. All right, so they're bringing in something alongside, to lead in, to bring in and place something where it is not expressly being stated. In other words, they drop a word here, they drop a word there. They're very sly in bringing this word here and just dropping it and letting it kind of take root for just a little while. These ungodly men who crept in unawares. So it directly ties to Jude Ford, which says they crept in unawares. Same root word. Uh, Parasigo is what it is. Same root word, meaning to enter in secretly. To slip in, and here's the, here's the great word that I found, stealthily. To slip in stealthily now i grew up in, in in south florida and we used to have these big alligators in our neighborhood had three of them and i remember we had this real big one and, and we were real smart when we were young we'd go down there with a pellet gun and we'd shoot them with a pellet gun across the the creek there or the pond and why do we want to do that because they're sat there buying their own business doing nothing sunning well we want to see them move don't we we're bored with that so we would shoot them with a pellet gun, of course, it wouldn't hurt them. I mean, it would just, you know, wake them up or whatever, and they'd get in the water, right? And then we'd say, oh, that was funny. You know what the problem was? We couldn't see them now. We didn't know where they were, right? And we, sometimes we, we would get out there, and, and we'd see them in the water, and they're just creeping along and just creeping along. And, and all of a sudden, you're watching them, and it's as if it just disappeared. Just slipped right in the water. Now you don't know where they are, you see. That's the same idea that you're finding here, something that just slips in just kind of creeps in if you will matter of fact i even found a preacher who likened it that way he likened it to a an alligator or a crocodile sliding in as it goes to attack its prey there's another illustration of this same word guys because these words or these phrases represent stealthy communication the ability to slip a word in here and then refer to it later on and one illustration uh, uses this same format with that with an attorney to where an attorney or a lawyer in the middle of a, of a trial uh, will slip a word in here, slip a word in there for the jury to hear, and they'll refer to it back at a later time or date. They crept in unawares. They're stealthily planting seeds. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that it should be there. It's not even being stated. It's not even part of the topic right now, but they drop these words in. They refer to it back later on in the trial. In history, the word is used for an individual who has been exiled from a country and uh, creeping back into the country unbeknownst to the authorities. Also, the idea of someone slipping in the back door, uh, an uninvited guest, if you will. We find this same idea, Matthew 22, verses 11 through 13. And when the king came and, uh, in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he said, he, And he was speechless, the Bible says, verse 13. Then said the king of the servant, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him in outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are uninvited souls, guys. These are, are, are persons or people uh, who come in uninvited, and they're there to wreck the future, to wreak havoc on those that are there. They're a diabolical, do you understand? And they creep in unawares privily shall bring in damnable heresies 
you know, there was, there was the thing that got really popular among churches and congregations about 20, 25, 30 years ago. It may have been before, but that would have been before my time. And, you know, certain men of churches would have Bible studies at their house. Come on over for some fellowship, and we'll have some coffee and some snacks, and we'll have a Bible study, unbeknownst to the pastor, and unapproved by the pastor. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I can do whatever I want to do in my own home. You sure can. But I can guarantee you this, if you start teaching a false doctrine to the members of that church, that's a damnable heresy, that is diabolical, and that's devilish, and God will deal with you. And that's what you find here, guys. You find these people who begin to sneak things in. They crept in unawares, and they came in for one purpose, and that is to teach false doctrines. They are false teachers, guys. They are apostates among us, and that's the world that we live in today. And we need to clearly, clearly, clearly understand that we are in this day and age, and we are in this time today where the doctrines that you and I hold to, and we take for granted, to be honest with you, majority of the world are not holding to them. And they're not holding to them for one purpose, because there's been false teachers, evil men, ungodly men, who crept in unawares and have begun to teach heresies, damnable heresies, like denying the Lord Jesus Christ that bought them. So we're going to stop there tonight. We'll pick up next Wednesday and the, uh, the next portion of our scripture. We'll start getting into the, uh, really into the thick of the teaching of 2 Peter chapter 2. But my thoughts I'm going to leave you with tonight, guys. When we're about three or four weeks into this lesson, into this message, into this series, I hope and pray that you're going to be able to spot a fraud. You know, I, over, the, over the last eight years, I've taught you round pegs and round holes, square pegs and square holes. We, we talk about that with dispensations, don't we? If it doesn't line up in the proper dispensation, it doesn't go there. And you can hammer it, you can force it, you can do all you want to do, it doesn't go there. So what my hope and my prayer is, as you begin to look around at your friends, your family members, your loved ones, and what they're adhering to, if they don't line up in Scripture, you're going to have to mark them as an apostate. An apostate's not someone backslidden. Well, let's just pray they get right with God. No, you pray they get saved. You pray they get saved. Amen? bow your heads. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here tonight. We pray now that you please give us guidance, grace, and mercy. Give us travel and mercy on the way home this evening. Lord, I pray that you bring us back at the next appointed time uh, as we come together and we meet uh, not only this Sunday, but this Friday morning for revival prayer meeting, Father, and all the meetings that are upcoming in the weeks to come. Lord, we ask lift up the name of Christ and ask you, dear Lord, that we would exalt you on high. Father, we love you. Pray for those that be traveling across uh, the pond, Lord, for Preston and his family. Uh, for Ryan and his family, for Rick, as they uh, head back to the States, dear God, we pray for them that you may keep them safe, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Aberamon. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. 
The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, from bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. I hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.